Hello, and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer, a podcast series where our experts discuss the latest market developments and put the headlines in perspective to set you up for the coming day. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Moving Markets podcast. My name is Roman Canziani. I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer in Zurich, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my team member, Lucia Chachulovic, who has all the latest on the financial markets over the past hours, and Norbert Rücker, our head of macro and next generation research, with his thoughts about the sustainability of the currently high energy prices. Further, I'm pleased to be joined by Nicolas Jordan from our CIO office, who will update us on all the latest discussions within the bank's investment strategy setting body, the Investment Committee. So let's get started. I'll hand over to you, Lucia, for the market's wrap. Please go ahead. Thank you, Roman, and good morning, everyone. Making headlines yesterday was definitely U.S. inflation data, which showed the prices increased 9.1% year-on-year in June, the biggest gain since November 1981. In addition, the Beige Book, released yesterday by the U.S. Federal Reserve, showed worries of an upcoming recession amid high inflation. And with central banks across the globe speeding up interest rate hikes, such as Canada's full percentage point hike and South Korea's half-point increase, speculation about the U.S. Federal Reserve raising its policy rate by one percentage point at its next meeting in late July quickly gained steam. As a result, the U.S. dollar strengthened further, and the euro fell below one dollar for the first time since December 2002. Treasury two-year yields, which are sensitive to imminent Fed moves, climbed further, while longer maturity rates also went higher. The inversion between two-year and 10-year yields, which is a potential recession indicator, is the deepest since 2000. In other news, according to draft projections by the European Commission, the euro area's rebound from the pandemic will be weaker than anticipated, while inflation will be faster because of the war in Ukraine. It has therefore cut its GDP projection for this year from 2.7% to 2.6% and for next year from 2.3% to 1.4%. Inflation is now projected to reach 7.6% this year and 4% next year. And in Asia, the latest official numbers from China show no weakening of its standing as a trade powerhouse. Shipments abroad in June rose at the fastest pace since January, increasing the nation's trade surplus to a record of 98 billion US dollar. Now looking at stock markets, U.S. equities ended a rather volatile session with modest losses yesterday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 0.7%, while the S&P 500 slid 0.45%, and the Nasdaq Composite fell 0.15%. Asian shares are trading higher this morning, with mainland Chinese stocks leading the gains as Australia's unemployment rate fell and Singapore surprisingly tightened its monetary policy. European stocks closed lower yesterday, with almost all sectors in negative territory, but they are mostly expected to open higher this morning. Now, in commodity-related news, oil is trading flat this morning, although the possibility of a huge rate hike by the US Fed could curb oil demand going forward. And also important for oil is the US dollar index, which hit a 20-year high yesterday, making oil purchases more expensive for non-US buyers. 
Gold, meanwhile, slipped somewhat this morning as treasury yields and the US dollar rose. And in crypto, Bitcoin continues to trade around the 20,000 US dollar mark. So what can we expect for the day ahead? The second quarter earnings season kicks off today with earnings due from JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup and Wells Fargo. Then out of the US, initial weekly jobless claims and the June producer price index report will be released. Both numbers will give further insight into the US economy. And with that, I wish you good luck for the day ahead and hand back to you, Roman. Thank you very much, Lucia. Now over to you, Norbert, and your takeaways from the latest price action across the energy segment. So please go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Roman. Well, maybe let's talk briefly about oil. We've seen oil dropped basically down to the double digits. It's no longer in the hundreds. And this is really the result of some uh, market rebalancing, as we tend to call it. So basically, supplies are still there. Uh, the sanctions put on uh, Russia do not lead to big shortages, not to big outages of supplies, but instead it's just one other big story of how uh, you have supply chain stress and this these supplies simply reroute. So instead of Western nations buying, it's not the Asian nations buying the uh, the oil. So overall, we look at markets where the inventory situation in, in fact improves because there's more production and the demand somewhat is curtailed because economic activity has already been well advanced and because the high prices seem to really lower uh, consumption here and there. So we're confident uh, with our cautious view on oil and we see oil prices dropping further into the 90s as the summer progresses heading into autumn. But maybe briefly on the big topic that is out there in the energy market, which is basically the energy crisis in Europe. And um, if you look at uh, the past month, I think some observations really stick out. First of all, it has been a massive stress test for the European energy market, talking about natural gas and electricity, which are tightly interlinked. But the market had shown a big flexibility in terms of absorbing uh, shocks. Second observation, I think, is key that this is a European crisis and not a German-specific or Switzerland-specific crisis. And the third observation, this has very little to do with the crisis with the energy transition. Instead, it was the fossil fuels and it was nuclear power plants that really proved unreliable and caused some of this uh, shortage fears now. Um, we published an in-depth report on that and uh, some of the conclusions uh, I want to summarize here. Our first conclusion is that Europe could probably cope with a full and lasting cut of rushed supplies. And the reason is that unlike last year, there's in fact lots of LNG available on global markets, which has to do with the economic soft patch that we see in China and Asia overall a bit. Only if you see a culmination of ifs, so if there's a cut of Russian supplies and there's a cold winter and there's additional outages, then you might really see uh, storage levels dropping to very harmful levels. But the good message is policymakers have various options to strengthen the market's resilience against this kind of risk. If you look at the economic fallout of the crisis, the thing is that really these high prices also lead to inflation on the electricity market. So this single event really transmits into broader inflation, inflationary pressure. But there's also many options and with careful policymaking, governments could prevent an energy-related recession in Europe. Importantly, we do not see systemic risks, although you have some of the news within the energy distributors because these risks are being addressed and being mitigated. So what's our outlook for the European natural gas price? We think that we continue to see this kind of pattern that prices are spiking eventually uh, into the levels that they have today. But overall, we see natural gas prices trending towards uh, 100 euros per megawatt hour towards year end because of the availability of supplies is there. But the situation as tense as it is, as geopolitical as it is, 
just warrants most likely continuous bursts of risk aversion, continuous spikes in prices. That's it from our end on the energy markets. Thank you very much, Norbert. For those of you who would like to find out more about the drivers of Norbert's view on natural gas going into H2, there's a new research focus available published yesterday entitled Natural Gas, the Big If, which you can find on our JB Investment Insights app. Now, with the markets down this week after a short breather at the beginning of H2, I look forward to hearing from Nicolas about the latest discussions within the investment committee of the bank. Nicolas, the floor is yours. Yeah, many thanks, Roman, and good morning, everyone. So as you said, the market outlook remains foggy. And as we elaborated last week already, corporate profits in the upcoming earnings season, which is starting today, are going to be key going forward. While the market sentiment is still very bearish, analysts have actually hardly revised their earnings expectation downwards. That said, even in the event of a recession where real GDP declines, we do not see much more downside from a drop in earnings. This is because earnings are a nominal variable and are much more closely correlated to nominal GDP, which is likely to remain positive in the new higher inflation paradigm. So a technical recession in real GDP would contract earnings by 10 to 15%, allowing the Fed to pause earlier and interest rates to decline, cautioning the negative market impact. Hence, our worst case scenario puts the S&P index at the 3,300 to 3,400 band, which corresponds to a further 5 to 10% decline from the June lows. Today, US equities are pricing a meaningful slowdown in economic activity, but not a recession. Markets expect inflation to cool off and the Fed to pause early next year. Last week's payroll report also revealed that the US labor market remains remarkably tight. Entering a recession with the labor market hardly showing any cracks would be quite unusual in historical comparison. Going forward, only the Fed over-tightening for the sake of its 2% inflation target would lead to a renewed substantial re-rating. We are aware, of course, of the recent CPI numbers, which will probably lead to another sharp rate hike in the next meeting. In a context of falling commodity prices, as Norbert elaborated, however, we expect the Fed to be less hawkish by the year end. As the economy slows, there is a window of opportunity for bonds to perform. There's finally income in fixed income again. Credit spreads have widened considerably, providing attractive entry levels given that the credit rating trends remain positive and default rates are only up only mildly. For investors, we see the second half of uh, 2022 as a time to search for opportunities to position their portfolios for the next cycle as we believe the market will find its bottom in the next six months and the bear market will not carry into 2023. Large market declines are rare, and it is on these occasions that investors truly have the chance to secure future returns. And with that, back to you, Roman. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Nicolas. And with that, we conclude today's episode of the Moving Markets podcast. Thank you very much to our speakers and thank you all for tuning in. We do hope that you'll join us again soon. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. 
To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, or our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation, or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives, or other products, or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information.